all of my life. I have done that. I have done that with my vote, with my influence, and with my money. That's what I do. Now, have I been criticized if one party's in and I've supported another? Yes. But remember what I said, I do what I think is right and best. In this instance, it wasn't so much for uh, me, but it was for Hampton. And the fact is, it has paid off. Hello and welcome to Here's to Life with Tori Reid, presented by Victory and Noble, a storytelling company with executive producer Patrick Howe. Here's to Life with Tori Reid was brought to you in part by... We have all been through incredible changes since 2020. In fact, more people are committed to living their best lives than ever before. At Here's to Life with Tori Reid, we are staying healthy and hydrated throughout this episode, courtesy of our premier partners at Vivra Water, a sustainable solutions company who has been leading the charge for nearly 40 years for a kinder, smarter, and lighter planet. With the most reliable, highest performing, and eye-catchingly stylish water dispensing equipment available, they specialize in advanced water filtration, chilling, and carbonation at the touch of a button or pull of a handle. Vivro Water is precisely the kind of life choice Here's to Life's leading icons, culture makers, and outliers are making as we all try to lead our very best lives. Sustainable water, making the world responsible and healthier. One conversation, one pour at a time. Go to vivrowater.com, V-I-V-R-E-A-U water.com for more information. Legacy is about so much more than leaving property or money. At its essence, legacy is in the wealth of teaching greatness, exploring and embracing rich history, having strong character, and making a positive difference for your family, your community, for culture, and the world. Legacy is about carrying it all forward. For me in my own life, it's seeded, planted, and watered in my education at Hampton University. So imagine the sheer delight I felt going back to speak with the legendary Dr. William R. Harvey, the 44-year president and dynamic visionary and global leader, an educator who is in no small way an important part of my successes and so many others. Hampton University was founded in 1868 by the American Missionary Association after the American Civil War and during Reconstruction. We are the crops yielded from the original agricultural and industrial college for newly freed Blacks. Yes, we are proud and Black. We stand tall. But we're also cosmopolitan, confident, unique, and educated under the leadership of the singular Dr. William R. Harvey. We are alumni of the school that produced, perhaps our greatest alumni of all, Booker T. Washington. So join me for a very special homecoming as I bring you back with me to my very special home by the sea. I am here with a living, breathing institution, William R. Harvey himself, a president who is a giant among men. I don't know where one starts with a man whose legacy is so great. So I think I'm going to begin with saying thank you. I am a proud Hamptonian. This is amazing to be back. Ah. 
at home, our home by the sea. I'm proud to be one of the 38,000 plus graduates, I believe, that was under your leadership. When I was reflecting and walking around the campus, preparing for this, I realized it was on this campus that I found my love for my people. Yes. And our history. Yes. I've always been a proud black woman because of my yes. family, yes. but love for my people, that was Hampton University under your leadership. Yes. And that has been with me since I left. So I just want to say thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. You know, um, with this last class, we are approaching now about 40,000 graduates. And I'm, I'm very, very proud of that uh, because we've got a lot of things that we can celebrate, a lot of them. And we'll perhaps get into some of them. But uh, one of the uh, first things that I'd like to talk about is the fact that we've had um, about 40,000 people, uh, students to graduate. And uh, as it relates to that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a businessman and an educator, and I believe in, uh, in that everything emanates from a strong financial base. And I know that when I came here, the scholarship support for our students was $494,000 a year. Last year, it was over $30 million. Scholarship alone, I'm not talking about federal. Yes. When you add federal, then it's about seventy-three, seventy-four thousand. dollars But the kind of money that Hampton University is providing to students for scholarships so that they can continue their education is over $30 million. Contrast that to $494 when I came some 44 years ago. So I'm very proud of um, our students. I'm proud of uh, the graduates that have gone on, that have done well, yes. uh, and this is just a part of it. Yes, that's amazing. Just researching you, remembering all that you've done before I got here, after I got here, it's just, it's just breathtaking. Speaking of those graduates, those students, let's talk about Hampton's illustrious alumni. Wow, from Booker T. Washington to the culture makers, the history makers, I want to talk about one in particular, and that is Oscar winner Ruth Carter. She is a famed costume designer and our Afro-futuristic Shiro. She is so proud to be a Hamptonian, and she talks about it whenever she gets a moment. But let's talk about Ruth Carter. Well, I'm so proud of Ruth. Uh, she's terrific. Uh, the fact is that we talk. I don't say often, but we talk. I've got her private cell. I called her. She's been very helpful. Um, she calls me. She's just terrific in every regard. You know, she's skilled. Uh, she did win an Oscar. I'm proud of that. But I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of her as a human being. Yes. What makes Hampton University singular? What makes it so different from the rest? Well, I think the major thing is the uh, emphasis on character. And I think that that's different. You know, there are a number of institutions that um, are top-flight academics. Well, Hampton is a top-flight academic um, uh, institution. And um, I'm sure we may get into it later, but the fact is that as we are talking right now, we have four satellites that are flying. We have the world's largest proton beam cancer treatment center, where we are treating prostate and breast and lung and ocula, pediatric spine, head, neck, and brain cancers. You know, we are easing human misery and we are saving lives. We have a giant antenna 
that can detect storms and hurricanes and tornadoes up to 2,000 miles away. There is no other institution in this region that has all of that. Large, small, public, private, no other institution. But what uh, distinguishes us is our emphasis on character. And uh, I think that that is the, is the quality difference. The fact is that any objective analysis will show that Hampton is one of the best, modest-sized universities in the entire country. So, you know, I could, I could continue on for quite a while about points of pride, but just those are just a few. I love that you're interested in graduates leaving here and being, quote, a good person, contributing to society, serving and having good character, as you said. And if we are not doing any of those things, that's considered a failure to you. And I really, really love that. How do you make sure that students have that and that we grow into that? Well, first of all, as I said, this was the priority of uh, June Armstrong, our founder. And what I have done is simply follow um, his playbook. And all the things that I have mentioned, as well as the things that I have not mentioned, it really is a result of the team. You know, a lot of people give me accolades, and I am the team leader, and I'm a tough team leader, but, you know, and I don't apologize for that. But I do believe, as honestly as I can say to you, is that collective competence is better than individual competence any day. And the team is really the dream. We could not have done those things if it had not been for the team. And other people recognize it as well. I've had 17 of my officers go on to become presidents of other uh, institutions, organizations. And that coupled with the current crop of uh, team members, this is how we do things. This is why we emphasize what we do. And in order to be a team leader of mine, for the last 44 years, you had to emphasize that. And the fact is that there are people that don't necessarily like it. You know, and I, I lecture, I've lectured at Harvard and Yale and William & Mary, Howard, Tuskegee, Talladega, other places, and I always, on leadership. And I always tell them that a leader is going to be criticized, a leader is going to be uh, rumored on, gossiped on, lied on. Yes. But always do what you think is right and best. And for me and my team, uh, they have to understand it's important to instill in young people uh, the importance of those character traits that I talked about, you know, and uh, we have done that. And there are some people that have criticized us for that, but that's okay because we know that we are doing what we think is right and what's best and what this institution was, was founded on. Do you ever feel misunderstood? Not really, because a lot of the criticisms come from people that uh, don't have very much going except to be negative, mm. you know. Yes. So uh, I don't worry about that because I'm always going to do what I think is right and best. I'm not saying that everything that uh, I or we have done is that way, mm -hmm. but that is our goal at all times. Yes. And so we have people, even including alumni, that don't like some of the things we're doing. You know, when this uh, pandemic, COVID-19, came out, we indicated that uh, everybody had to be inoculated. Yes. And uh, we had people that uh, criticized that, and they brought up things like the 1932 Tuskegee study. And oh, some wow. folks said that, uh, you know, we were being anti-Black because we were interested in uh, people being safe. We were interested in saving lives. 
And the fact is that when we think we do what's right and best, then you let the chips fall where they may. And you have to be strong enough uh, to, to not let those kind of things get under your skin. And I believe really and truly in the team. And when the pandemic first became public, I appointed uh, several committees. One was a uh, uh, prevention uh, committee chaired by one of my vice presidents, Dr. Barbara Inman, and they were meeting on a daily basis. Uh, and they're the ones that came up with uh, the guidelines and they presented them to the administrative council and then ultimately to me. And that's what we have done. So we don't just wake up one morning and say, this is what we're going to do. Right. We believe in input. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact is that um, it doesn't mean that input is going to be what we do, but we like to hear different voices. We like to hear different positions. We like to understand uh, different points of view. And then we try to make a decision. And you're not going to ever please everybody. Right. But do right. what you think is right and best. Yes. And let the chips fall where they may. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Do what you think is right. A powerful reminder for us all. He's a true exemplar of perseverance through leadership, no matter what or who comes against him. We must persevere with the vision at all times until we reach our goal. For Here's to Life with Tori Reid, he is yet another classic example of what it means to be iconic. For him, it's his tireless service and dedicated life, underscored by incredible results. Leaders and those in academia are so deserving of the rich praise and adulation heaped on celebrities and sports figures in this culture. They are servant gatekeepers of legacy and our future generations. And Dr. Harvey is certainly a titan among them. Your love for Hampton University is so great as is your love for the city of Hampton. You're like the de facto mayor, I always say that. You really are. You've done so much for this institution. You've done so much for the city. I'm curious, what do you feel the city, this institution has done for you? Well, it's given me an opportunity to serve. Just as simple as that. Yes, I love that. Okay, let's go back a little to Bruton, am I saying that right? That's correct. Bruton, Alabama. That's right. You consistently refer to your mother, your father, and your family, and all that you do as your blessings. Your father was a building contractor That's and a correct. civil rights leader, and your home, which I loved learning about, was a blessed refuge for many. Talk about your parents, your family, your community growing up, and how that culture influenced who you are today. Well, as you said, my father was a building contractor and he was a civil rights leader. And during that time of abject uh, racism and segregation in the South, um, uh, African-Americans could not go into certain restaurants, couldn't go into certain hotels and motels. Mm -hmm. So there were homes all over the South where people like Dr. Martin Luther King, his brother, Dr. Reverend A.D. King, and other civil rights leaders nationally and regionally would stop by, mostly on the weekends, uh, for either a cup of uh, tea or lemonade or even a meal and conversation. Mm. Well, my father uh, asked me if I wanted to sit in. I said, yes, Dad. Oh, wow. But it was with, uh, with a caveat. I could not say a word. I could not mm. raise a question. I could sit and listen. 
And sometimes when I was listening to the Dr. Kings and to others, when they were talking about the problems and talking about the progress and talking about the individuals and things like that, I just couldn't uh, hardly sit still. But I know that back then, if your dad had told you something, you didn't do it. They didn't tell you to go stand in the corner. <laughs> right. Well, you got you got a no severe. Time out. No, 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 no. You didn't do that. Yeah. So I was allowed to uh, do that. So not only did that allow me to hear what was going on really before the uh, the country and the world heard it. Yes. But also it enhanced my listening skills, mm. and that's very important. You know, my daddy used to tell me, "You've got two ears and one mouth." Talk less than you, than you listen. <laughs> so that's just uh, one example. But they taught uh, my sister Anne and me uh, the importance of uh, serving others, mm-hmm. the importance of character, the importance of truth, the importance of respect. And little old Bruton, Alabama, and I don't know the exact statistics, but the total was population was somewhere around 5,000, probably around 800 to 1,000 were um, African-Americans. Mm. That was all. Wow. But you know, that old adage about it takes a village to save yes. a child, yes. that's what uh, the black community was. And uh, I can uh, give you an example. Uh, I was around in, uh, about a block from my house and playing with one of my friends. His name was Samuel Stallworth. Mm-hmm. He's dead now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Samuel Stallworth and... Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm sure I was cutting up, doing something I wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a lady across the street whose name was Miss Sang Forbes. So there she yelled out from her porch for me to stop doing whatever I was doing. I think I might have stopped for a minute and I continued back. Right. Next thing I knew, she was coming across the street with a switch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so she, she actually whipped me. She went back to her house and called my mother and told my mother about it. Mm. When I got home, I got another whipping, okay? I've heard those stories, but I, and I believe that, and I wish it could still be that way today. Now you would have got, your mom would have gotten mad at her. She would have gotten in trouble. Somebody would have called the police and yes. all of that. But, you know, yes. it, it really does take a village to save a child and uh, to raise a child. And I just yes. think that little old Bruton, Alabama was one of those. They took uh, interest in the community, mm-hmm. and they, they did some about it, okay? Mm. There's so many things that you've done that you can be proud of. What are you most proud of? Well, you know, that might be a little bit difficult for me to ascertain, yeah. but I what certainly what would be right up there would be what I started this interview with. Uh, the students, the uh, approximately 40,000 students that have graduated, those that have gone on, like yourself, to do really wonderful things. Um, and, you know, I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of uh, the fact that we are doing things that, as I said, no other institution are doing. You know, how many institutions do you know of uh, in this region that has four satellites flying? You know, I could just go on and on and on. Um, it is just a marvelous um, opportunity for me to have been the leader here to uh, emphasize the importance of my team and to emphasize the results. You know, a lot of people don't understand that it's results that count. I do. And if you look around, um, despite anything uh, to the contrary, 
results here are just phenomenal. But it's the team result. It's not just me. When I was driving here, I was thinking of you, and I, I said, you know, you always hear about have a can-do attitude, have a can-do attitude. No, Dr. Harvey has a do attitude. <laughs> it's already done when he thinks about it. Um, one of your monikers is, quote, to dream no small dreams. You breathe this, you embody it, your legacy shows it, you've lived it, and you continue to do so. Let's talk about the power of dreaming. Well, just think about some of the things I've said. You know, uh, we have the world's largest proton beam cancer treatment center. Cancer is the number one killer in Virginia. And African Americans have a larger uh, percentage of uh, incidents than do uh, others. And the fact is that uh, we've had a tough time. We've even had black legislators that haven't supported us. But the fact is, I know that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So we have stuck to it. Yes. Uh, we are, as I've said earlier, we are treating the kind of cancers that, uh, that, that everybody has. It's not just for uh, African Americans, yeah. uh, because we have a, a, a large uh, Caucasian uh, patient load as well. But we do have the facility out there. Think about the fact that we've got four satellites that are flying right now. Yeah. No other institution has anything like that. The other things that I have talked about. So those are things that the quality of the team. For an example, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know anything about treating cancer. But uh, when I had an opportunity to talk to an individual who happened to have been an alumnus, who she was a, a medical doctor, and she talked about her first cousin out of Michigan that had gone to uh, Loma Linda in California to be treated for prostate cancer. It intrigued me. We had some cancer research going on. Yes. So I went home that night after the uh, alumni meeting and uh, started researching it and, and became even more intrigued. And for about two, two and a half months, uh, I did nothing but try to look at uh, uh, cancer. At that time, there were only three centers in the country. I think there are over 30 now. There were only three proton centers at that time in the country. And it became overwhelming to me. So I asked one of our um, faculty members who was a PhD and who had done some cancer research if she would uh, come and help me. And she did. And then I appointed a committee and we would meet once a week on this. We had to look at a, a, a lot of things. We had to look at uh, where would we get the equipment from, the cost of the equipment. And at that time, and I don't know about now, there are only three places that built the equipment. One was in Belgium, one was in Japan, and one was in California. Well, we invited them to come and make a presentation before the committee. We eventually chose a firm called IBA out of Belgium. And uh, then one of the things that I did, and it was during a time when we were in a, the toughest recession since the Great Depression of the uh, 1930s. I went to New York and I met with the heads of uh, major uh, investment firms and borrowed $225 million to put that center up. And there were times uh, back then, at that time, when major institutions couldn't get any money. Yes. But for whatever reason, and I'm thankful, these top people, and they were the CEOs of these top people, uh, top firms. 
We borrow the money. Now, I will say to you, uh, we have done well. We have not eliminated that debt, but we got it down now to a little more than $90 million from $225 million. And we have not gotten any support from the state of Virginia or from the federal government that others have or we should have. Right. But um, again, uh, we, 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 we dream no small dreams. To dream no small dreams. That is Dr. Harvey's way of life and should be an aspiration for us all. I'm certainly feeling inspired after listening to how his visions became realities. HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, play such a significant role in developing outstanding captains of industries, scholars, scientists, teachers, creatives, inventors, storytellers, and influential leaders. They're pillars within our culture and house a rich legacy of its people and history. In addition to the Emancipation Oak, the Memorial Chapel and Legacy Park, Hampton University is home to the nation's oldest African-American museum. And because of its magic, prestige, and Dr. Harvey's passion for art, and having one of the largest personal African-American art collections in the country with his lovely wife, Norma, I knew it was the perfect setting to have this conversation and celebrate him among its magnificence. You know, when I became president, we had $29 million in endowment. Uh, we've gotten up to over $400 million in our endowment mm -hmm. because um, I don't believe that African-Americans should be second fiddle. Yeah. You know, I've never believed that. My parents didn't teach me that. We always try to make sure that we do dream no small dreams. And that's why I'm as happy as I can be that I went to places like Talladega and Virginia State and then to Harvard, where I did so well until I was asked to stay on as a very minor assistant to the dean. And um, I did for a year, for a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. Yes. My boss was a fellow who's also did, and I named Ted Sizer. He was terrific. I became his uh, assistant, uh, one of his assistants. And I did that for a year. And I remember going into his office and, and I said, Dean Sizer, I want you to know how much I appreciate uh, so very much having an opportunity to, uh, to work with you. And even for you to ask me, I mean, we had 15 people in my class. He asked me, mm -hmm. okay. And uh, I said, but I want to go back south and work at a predominantly black school. He <laughs> and everybody else uh, cried. <laughs> I don't know if they cried. I mean, I'm, I'm a cryer, but I don't know if they cried. But they tried to dissuade me. I'm sure they, they said that my star could have risen faster if I stayed at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And they may or may not have been correct. I don't know. But I said to them, uh, I've got to follow my North Star. And that's what I did. And I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I love that you talk about your North Star. Has that North Star been with you your whole life? Have you been following that? Is that like your gut? Well, when I talk about my North Star, I talk about uh, service to humanity that my, my mother and father taught me. Okay. And I think that that has been with me since I was uh, a kid. Mm -hmm. That part has. Yes. But again, you know, I had to uh, follow my own. And although I'm as grateful as I can be with the kind of love and leadership that 
uh, my mother and father and others in Bruton, Alabama, taught me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to I had to do what I thought was the right and best thing for um, for, for for me, yeah. you know. And as I said, not only did um, I do well at Harvard academically, but also um, being asked out of the fifteen doctoral students to serve as a dean's assistant for governmental affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my wife and I were married. We didn't have any kids at the time. Mm-hmm. And we did things like going to clam bakes in Maine and skiing in Waterville Valley, New Hampshire, and going to the old Boston Garden for basketball. So it was a wonderful time. As a matter of fact, I think that every place I have been has been a wonderful journey. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, I'm going to uh, entitle my, my memoir. The journey was a reward. And I believe that every place we've been, Harvard, Fisk, Tuskegee, Hampton, uh, the journey uh, was and is the reward. (laughs) One of the things about you that I admire so much is your tenacity, you know, and I don't know if that's you following your North Star. Uh, I'm sure it has to do with all of that, the way you were reared, because what you've done has not been easy. You make it look easy, but like the Proton Institute, for example, I'm sure there were people trying to do that. And then we're all upset when you did it here on an HBCU campus. And there could have been so many times where you said, this is just too much. I I don't need this. I can go do this. But no, you stuck to it. You pushed through it. And I am in awe of you for that. Do you mind talking about some of that pressure when you're up against Goliath. How do you do it? Well, you know, I've referenced my parents a lot. And the fact is that um, I remember my father used to say that life is simple. People make it difficult. (laughs) So the fact is that I'm not as complex and as difficult as a lot of people think that I am. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing with that proton center, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ease human misery and save lives. That's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And uh, we've had setbacks. Uh, I remember I, I met, had lunch with a congressman named Mirtha, who was from um, Pennsylvania. He had given some support to the Pennsylvania Proton Center. Mm-hmm. So I asked him for some support, and he promised me $75 million. And he happened to have been the chairman of the Appropriations Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. And that's a lot of power. You're the chairman of a, of a money committee like that. And I honestly believe that he would have given it to me. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, several weeks later, he passed. Mm-hmm. And so I never did get that $75 million. Oh. I did go to the next chair, and um, they talked like a lot of politicians do and don't do anything. I never got it. The same thing here in Virginia. I was promised $50 million. Never have gotten that either. But that you don't you don't stop because you don't uh, you don't succeed yes. you know and I just was always taught that mm-hmm. and I it's it's ingrained in me so I just think that um, you you know you first of all one needs to understand the importance of setting a goal mm-hmm. and then one needs to understand the importance of working toward that goal and don't let anybody dissuade you yeah. you know I can remember a time when I had the uh, Joint Committee of the House and Senate of Virginia here on our campus, and I made the presentation. Uh, it, it was the uh, Joint Finance Committee. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember the chair of the group said, well, you know, that's a wonderful thing, doctor. He said, why doesn't, and he named uh, two or three institutions, mm-hmm. major institutions in the state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a little brash or a lot brash, okay. I said, because I'm not the blank president of those institutions. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> what is your wish for the future of Hampton University and President Williams? Well, you know, I, I called him on some matters and I'll tell you what um, the, the, the number of times that he and I have talked. I really want him to continue to make Hampton excel. And I said to him that I am not going to be involved in any operational activities at the university, mm-hmm. but that I will, and anytime he asks me, I will be supportive of him and I'll give him my very best advice. And I'll tell you, I intend to do that. Mm-hmm. So I wish him well. Mm-hmm. I also indicated to him that, um, you know, there's no question about the fact that he has outstanding leadership. You know, you don't get to be a lieutenant general in the Army without having outstanding leadership. Yeah. And he is that. But I also cautioned him that there are going to be people that are going to try drive a wedge between him and me. They're already doing it with me, yeah. trying to criticize him. And uh, I don't allow that. I just don't allow it. I can't use the expletive deletive that I use when I tell them don't bring that stuff to me, okay? <laughs> yes. Because I know, and I would not be surprised if they don't try to do that with him as well. Yes. He is the leader now, and I wish him well. Mm-hmm. And the things we talked about, I'm not going to say publicly, mm-hmm. but I wish him well. I want him to continue to make Hampton excel, yes. because where we are right now is a very immutable position. And uh, my hope is that he will build on that. Mm -hmm. And if he wants me to help him in any form or fashion, I will do it. If he doesn't, I won't. How do you wish to be remembered? You know, a lot of people have asked me that. I don't worry about that. I don't know. You know, look at the deeds that we have done. Mm -hmm. Look at the people that we have helped. Look at the students who have matriculated here. You know. Think about those things. Don't think about me. How does one not think of Dr. William R. Harvey when thinking of Hampton University? The two have been synonymous for over four decades. Whether it's his powerful presence, establishing the largest freestanding proton beam cancer center in the world, increasing the endowment from 29 million to over $400 million, erecting 29 new buildings, or simply his passion and commitment behind it all. He transformed Hampton University from a small black college to a world-class leader within higher education. Dr. Harvey is a titan dreamer and doer. He has consistently walked the walk and talked the talk. And under his expansive wingspan and upon his broad shoulders, is now a thriving and well-respected global university whose motto is the standard of excellence and education for life. More than a motto, ours is a legacy we Hamptonians wear as a badge of honor, and Dr. Harvey is an exemplar of the motto that is a legacy, our legacy. That's why we hold him up in esteem. 
we are as proud of him as he is of us. That's why returning to my home by the sea means so much to me. It's a place that I didn't realize as deeply as I do now, in so many ways, is a place where my love for my people, our history, and our character was born. What we refer to as the Hampton Experience. H-I-U. I love it, I love it, I love it. That's just a little chant we used to sing at the many epic football games. So hail to our fearless leader, Dr. William R. Harvey, the mighty captain to us Hampton Pirates, an extraordinary businessman and visionary. Forty-four years. Very well done, sir. You are as mighty as our emancipation oak, and your legacy will live on as we all will continue to embrace the richness and power of legacy that lives on at Hampton University. We salute you. Thank you for listening to Here's to Life with Tori Reed, executive produced by Patrick Howell. We hope you've enjoyed today's show. Here's to Life with Tori Reed was brought to you in part by The Hilton Sacramento Art and West in Sacramento, California, is committed to creating a safe and relaxing experience, including delivery of a clean stay from check-in to check-out. Located a couple of exits from downtown Sacramento and California's capital, our hotel provides a world-class stay, amenities, and rooms at the center of the California experience. California is a world-class economy with visionaries, doers, and dream catchers at its heart. Our mission, as with Here's to Life and Getting Deals Done, is the highest possible expression of excellence, business moxie, humanity, and client care. As the world moves at a fast and sometimes hectic pace, we will provide you with a peace of mind. The Hilton Sacramento Art and West is here to make your experience a better one. We look forward to receiving you. I am Ginger Levert, Director of Sales and Marketing at the Hilton Sacramento Art and West. Our focus is on the customer experience and a pristine excellence. When you travel to Sacramento, stay with us and I guarantee your peace of mind. Check back with our page, here's to lifeeveryday.com, for new episodes. And if you like this show, don't forget to hit subscribe and be sure to leave a comment, rate, or review wherever you're listening and share it if you can. So, here's to life today and every day. So long for now. <laughs>